Hello and welcome back to uh, Two Barstools and a Chef Knifer. Two Barstools and I'm going to keep changing the name of our pod. You know, I'm in charge. I can do that. Um, I love that musical interlude. We just had whoever came up with that one really do appreciate it. So today on Two Barstools and a Chef Knife, we're talking about the ins and outs of the hospitality industry, the ins and outs of self-quarantine and everything else that Pops into our mind when it pops into our mind. I've got Chef John Noble Massey and uh, Brian Connors. And we have a special guest today, which we're going to get to in just a second. Um, how's everyone doing today? How's everyone self-quarantined going? So far, so Fabulous. good. What good. day is this, Dodge? Is this uh, 100 and I think we were on 170 something last week. So we got to be over 200 now. Yeah, easily uh, over 200. <laughs> At on. least we know the day is Wednesday because we're doing this. I think that keeps us all centered. At least wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right. The church centered with schedule. I don't know. I just start calling it someday, one day, two day, three day. I don't even know. Matter day. Most important question of the day is, uh, Connors, what do you think of Daji's new do? Oh, I, I think, you know, we, we made a couple comments, John, when you started cutting your own hair. But yes. uh, Professor Nathan Dodge takes the proverbial cake. It's you know, a couple steps away from American Psycho, Lex Luthor, <laughs> uh, Dr. Evil. We got them all going on. So it's, it's literally just fun for the whole family and hours of enjoyment. Yeah, so for those of you who watched my graduation video that Don and I did last week, so I took it upon myself to get myself a haircut, and the clippers were not cooperating correctly, so instead of giving myself a nice trim, I gave them all a trim, and I am now um, chrome dome. So it, it'll grow back. Yeah. Just, no, just water it a little. Yeah. Water it a little bit. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, gang, so before we get to our uh, illustrious special guest, which we'll uh, introduce him momentarily, let's do a quick little program update to kind of let you guys know what's going on with the Bacardi Center of Excellence. We are moving forward, even considering quarantine. We are going to be launching uh, Bacardi Teach. We have some outstanding content coming out. I know Professor Dodge and I have had the opportunity to look at some of the stuff that uh, Professor Gomez, you know, Gomez is done. And we're really looking forward to that. He's definitely created more work for us, Nathan. Because oh, that yeah. rum video was spot on. So yeah, when that it's, video hits, I'm going to be real. That's really impressive. Yeah. Special guest. We'll make sure you get a copy of that in advance too, because it, it's, it's really outstanding. But so thank you, Dale Gomez, for creating more work for us to do. We do appreciate that, but uh, all well and good. Hey, of course, uh, fall registration is open. As Professor Dodge and I have discussed for the last two weeks, numbers are filling up. The larger intro to beverage class uh, is in the high teens now, which is great. So we do have some room there, as well as the other two classes are filling up. So please uh, let us know if you have any questions, talk to your advisor. But we really want to get a early good kind of gauge on how many people will be signing up. So then we can, of course, requisition product, get our guest speakers lined up and all that type of stuff. So uh, make sure we do that. We do that early. But everything else is, is, is moving forward, gentlemen. This quarantine is, has, has not been slow. I'll give you guys that. No, not at all. So I finished up my, um, my cruise class because as m- many of you know, I'm supposed to be on a cruise right now going from somewhere in South Florida. I think we're supposed to leave out of Miami. We should be somewhere between the Azores and France. Miss King's Day in Amsterdam. We, we've missed it all. But I've had some pretty cool guest speakers in my 
cruise line class, including I had uh, Dave Grutman do a Zoom bomb this week. So Dave popped in talking about his new class or the same class that he taught last year, which is HFT 4932. He'll be teaching that again this fall. For those of you who are interested in learning about the entertainment and event side of our hospitality business, make sure you sign up for that uh, Dave Grutman experience. I think last year he had people like DJ Khaled pop in and Pharrell. I asked him if uh, Kim and Kanye were going to pop in, and he didn't say no. <laughs> he also didn't say yes. So we're going we're gonna to probably go a big no on Kim and what Kanye popping in. But start that rumor now. <laughs> start that rumor. That class will fill up. You know, I was I was talking to his boy Mo Garcia at Sobe this year. Mo's a great guy. Uh, I want to try to get Mo in the classroom too. And he said how much that Dave Grubman really enjoyed teaching that class and what he was able to get from it. And then inclined, you know, what our students got from it. And I'll be very candid. What great PR, huh? You, I mean, it's stuff you can't even buy. Oh, that was in every newspaper from here to New York. It was on page six. Like that, that gave us the best visual about really what everybody in South Florida already knew that FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality is just worlds ahead of everyone else. And now everybody in the world knows that. So it was awesome. John Massey, anything cooking in your neck of the woods, sir? Well, you know, this week was finals week for us. So uh, I had finals in both my intro classes and advanced. The intro finals were really super interesting because you know, in, in class session at school, we limit the ingredients. So you got to cook with chicken and then you got to do a vegetable and two sides. They're final. Some of them really blew me away. They actually cooked for their whole families. One student cooked some great steaks. Another student was roasting tenderloin. They're laying out uh, full table settings and sides and doing formal menus for their family. So the students that really took it to heart did awesome. And then for my advanced class, it was a presentation. A third part of their project is a presentation or a summary of how the, the whole class went. And they were delivering a, a PowerPoint. And I know how you, Professor Connors in particular, uh, you know, get frustrated with some of the PowerPoints and just the lack of graphics or pictures and just 100% words. And so the student that did really well had some great graphics and really good transitions between the slides and things so there's, like there's that. There's a possibility so, they might have taken marketing with me or some other class. I, you know, I, blood, I yeah. so For my so, presentations, for my um, revenue management on the ship, I got some fabulous presentation. I'm going to share them with you guys. They knocked it out of the ballpark. I don't even know how they were able to do it so good. So yeah, they're, they're, they're coming along. They're coming along great. It, you know, every day my, our students impress me a little bit more. So they're doing great stuff. Speaking of students, for those of you who are members of the Bartenders Guild, I heard that they, uh, they won a little award this week. They won the um, what was it? The President's Award for Best New Club and Organization on Campus. So, congrats to everybody in the Bartenders Guild! Yay! Yay! Yay. Nice Woo. job, Christina. I say we get to our uh, guest speaker. Sounds like a good idea. Perfect, Nathan. Want to do a little introduction, and we'll uh, get talking. Sure. We got Gabriel. <laughs> you know, uh, I can't turn down. <laughs> like Gabriel. I'm here. It's okay. Um, it's 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 Gabriel Rutia. 
Rutia. Right. Come on, come on, Dodgy. Come Rutia. on, Dodgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so today uh, we're, we're going to be joined by Gabriel Rutia. He's a brand ambassador uh, for Doers, part of the Bacardi portfolio. So without further ado, uh, we asked uh, Gabriel to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about his background, uh, what's going on in the Miami scene. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the book he wrote on the Miami cocktail world, and then we're going to get into kind of the state of the industry and overall conversation. So, uh, Gabriel, bro, welcome. Nice to see you again. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to actually meeting you in person one of these days. I cannot wait to have a cocktail. I mean, it's <laughs> been if 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 you're part of this world like you guys are, this has been. It's I know it's unprecedented, but but most of all, I think just what we're used to is just really shaking hands, sitting in front of a bartender, and enjoying a nice cocktail. And we just haven't had that. It's cool to make cocktails at home, right? But the essence of what we love is watching these incredible bartenders and hospitality professionals create something extraordinary. So that's what I miss the most actually right now. So I can't wait to just, just sit at a bar, man, have, have one or two. So I'm excited. Perfect, bro. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I don't know about anyone else, but I haven't wanted to go to a bar this bad since I was about 19. Oh my God. (laughs) I agree, man. I, it, you know, and it's not just one of these, like, I'm going to go indulge and, 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 you know, just kind of drink a lot of beer or I'm going to drink a lot of spirit. It's just more responsibly just sitting down and enjoying the ambiance of what some of these beautiful Miami restaurants and bars are able to deliver. And I think that that's, you know, one of the biggest sticking points, I think, from um, this quarantine is kind of looking back and saying, you know, cocktails are great, but it's the overall kind of 360 view and experience that you get from a bar and restaurant that makes them so special. So I'm glad that we're able to see it from this side because the grass is not greener just because we can make cocktails at home. True, man. Very true. So before we kind of get into that uh, state of the industry, let's talk a little about you, Gabe. So my, uh, my hope is uh, we're going to see Gabriel on uh, the FIU campus, Chaplain School, uh, a little bit more as soon as we can. It's going to be a great asset for our future beverage and spirits program. So it's going to be great. But hey, Gabe, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about, uh, tell us about you, man, and how, what got you into this crazy business. Yes. So, so for me, I actually, I also, I graduated from, from FIU. And when I graduated from there, you know, when you're in Miami and you're going to college in Miami, you're kind of already embedded in kind of like the hospitality industry. Specifically for me, even going back to college, I was actually working kind of on, on nightclubs and promotions. So I would actually run around. I, I, I worked a little bit under one of uh, Dave Grutman's establishments, which was kind of over there in Goddess and Tantra as well. So I was running around those areas as well. And you know, everyone had kind of just this really intelligent plan, right? As we continued to see kind of uh, everything change, one of the big things I noticed was just a strong reliance on the educational aspect of what we want to do in the beer, wine, and spirits industry. So actually, when I jumped out, I, I thought I was going to go to law school. So I said, all right, I'm going to study. My, my, my parents told me that they had a plan and they knew someone in law school. So, you know, I went and, I'm, and I said, okay, let me, let me go to a safe space. And my safe space is a bar. So I went to a bar and I'm hanging out there and I see a friend from high school and he, is, he has beers in his hand and he's talking about the process of creating beers, the process of creating Budweiser and Bud Light. And I thought to myself, well, this is pretty extraordinary. I never even thought that someone would even want to know the ins and outs of how you make 
Bud Light. And I thought to myself, what, what, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a brand ambassador. And I thought to myself, I've, you sound like you, 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 you work for the royal family, so that's pretty cool. But what does this kind of awe encompass? Like, what is the important part of what we're seeing here? And it's basically that people wanted their beer or spirit served with a side of education and transparency, which we've never had in our industry before. So for me, I said, hey, man, this is going to be really weird, but I just graduated. Can I get your boss's number and let me give him a call? And they, he said, man, that's, that's really weird. I don't think I can do that. And I said, just give me a chance, man. Let me, let me give him a call. So I actually called him. She was based in Chicago. And I said, hey, you know, I was wondering if you're giving me a chance. I just graduated from, from FIU. I think I'd be a valuable asset to your team. And they actually, um, a couple of weeks later, ended up giving me the job as brand ambassador. And from there, I moved on as a market manager in that role. So I worked with Anheuser-Busch on the agency side, kind of just facilitating a lot of what the educational, but also kind of what we do from a support standpoint with bars, making sure that, you know, the signage, the point of sale and everything is living in the right place. So point of sale, for example, would be, you know, the bottle openers, the napkin caddies, the bar mats. So making sure those are living in the right places, that they're being utilized correctly. And of course, that these bars and restaurants are always keeping us top of mind. So that was kind of my first entrance into that. And honestly, back then, it was just such kind of half good luck. I would say 90% good luck, you know, 5% kind of, you know, learning your way around. But the other 5% is kind of like, this is such a big world. No one's really touched it. So I actually jumped over to the, I worked with the Chaplin family on the Southern side. And I actually got into the distribution standpoint. So there wasn't really a lot of mentors at that time. There wasn't, you know, kind of a Bacardi Center for Excellence. There, there, there wasn't a lot of focus on what we were trying to do. So for me, it was kind of searching for these type of mentors or a tip or anything that I can get. And, you know, one thing I got was someone told me, you got to work for the distributor. And I said, why? And they said, you need to learn this three-tier distribution system. You need to understand how this spirit or beer goes from the distributor to a retailer and how everything works in between. And I said, well, okay. So I went over to Southern and I went to the front door and I, you know, there's a lot of uh, entrances to get inside. So I couldn't get fully inside, but I left my resume with someone in the front and eventually they got back to me and I actually took a position with the off-premise team. So I did mom and pops and pharmacies. So I understood that side. I understood merchandising, uh, planograms, uh, how to actually sell to kind of some of these bigger stores and how we live from there, right? So I actually, at that time, had to put up the bottles myself. So if it would arrive at a CVS in South Beach at 7 a.m., I would actually have to go and put up those bottles myself. So hopefully after a very long weekend <laughs> at that age, the orders weren't too large, even though I wanted it to be large, I also had to put that up. So it was uh, an interesting relationship to have with the retailer and making sure that, you know, we were always, again, top of mind for the consumer and that we were able, I always had a duster with me, for example, always dusting the bottles, always making sure that they're facing forward. Things like that are so important. And we kind of overlook it nowadays because, you know, the industry has grown so big that it's so easy to kind of look at, you know, other ways to kind of do that or think that the rep is doing it. But I always say that what position you're at, that if you understand every single level of this industry, then you're able to cover every single level when you walk into a retail store or a liquor store. Every time I walk into a liquor store and I see, you know, a brand that I work with, I would go up there. I still dust the bottles. 
I still straighten the bottles up. I still shake the hands with the managers now, obviously from social distancing. So now I wave to the managers. But the thing is, is that no matter what, and even if I'm working or not, or even if I'm passing a Saturday to a liquor store, I still introduce myself. I just, it's, it's just one of those things I do. And it has nothing to do with what we're trying to do. It's just that hospitality aspect of understanding what we are as a whole. And I think that, you know, once we start introducing each other, that network grows bigger and bigger, whether it's in restaurants and bars, liquor store, whether it's at a pharmacy um, that could be selling just beer and wine, for example. But I eventually made my way on the agency side to uh, Shivas. I became the brand ambassador, studied under their master blender, Colin Scott in Scotland. And that was just invaluable experience. So he brought some of these incredible innovations that you're seeing from uh, the Scotch whiskey side that we still see today. And then eventually made my way to Bacardi as a portfolio consultant. So at that time, 2010, there wasn't a very strong position on the supplier side for someone that can talk about craft cocktails and someone that can actually speak to certain spirits in the portfolio and speak from a categorical level. So I kind of dug my nails real, real deep into this because it was something that people were already asking for, right? Bars, restaurants, and even consumer-facing dinners, they wanted kind of this information. They wanted to do pairing dinners. They wanted cool happy hours. They wanted cool cocktails. So I was able to kind of just really, again, good luck where there was a manager in Bacardi who said, I think we need this. I don't know what the position looks like, but I think it kind of looks like this. I think it kind of involves kind of consulting on cocktails. I think it involves some education. So I actually took every single playbook. I took all the education that I could from every single portfolio. I took it from all the categories and kind of just started piecing together this program for Florida, the state of Florida. And from there, I was able to kind of just talk about cocktails and consult on, on, on cocktail menus and just create creative solutions for bars and restaurants that otherwise maybe did not have that bartender was creating that. So we're able to kind of just go ahead and deliver that type of information in an easy and a meaningful way that was kind of a lot easier to consume than a lot of the stuff that we were seeing out there at that time. Um, obviously, during that time, and I think you know, this is one of the questions where we see, you know, where we were maybe even three years ago, I think that we continue to evolve and change. You know, I think we start seeing that first bit of mixology coming from, you know, New York and London, I would say around the 2004, 2005, 2006, kind of that era, you start seeing maybe someone throwing an extra herb next to the mint, right? But I always say, and I always tell people this, we talk about craft cocktails and we say, well, you know, we just started handcrafted cocktails, you know, at this certain time. But realistically, we've been making the mojito for quite a while here. So, and the mojito is a craft cocktail. It's not easy to make. It's not easy to balance. Granted, we've seen different iterations of it. But now we're getting to a point where we are crafting some of the best mojitos. Uh, we are taking daiquiris and we're handshaking them. We are taking the classics and, and, and creating them correctly. And I think that involves a little bit of, you know, education, a little bit of a kind of outside influence uh, coming from, you know, the Londons and uh, New Yorks of the world. But I think within the past three years, as you see our palate develop to want, you know, a little bit more kind of complex cocktails, you're starting to see chefs come along with it as well. So with that, you're starting to notice that if you have a restaurant and you have a liquor license that can serve spirits, they need to be serving nice cocktails so it's not only about the wine list anymore. It's not only about putting a bottle of whiskey back there and the expectation of someone drinking something on the rocks. It's 
It's having that full-on experience of wine, beer, cocktails. Are they digging into local cocktails, excuse me, local beers? Are they looking at, you know, creating their own cocktail menu? Are they looking at classics? Are they looking at modern classics? So we're starting to see just so much effort going into that where now they have, you know, even people that consult specifically on cocktails. So you can actually call a consulting agency, which doesn't work at a bar, and they will go to your bar and they will create, you know, the pricing for each cocktail, the ingredients, how to get it. Is it easy? Is it not? Is it capable? They'll train your staff, and at the end, you'll have this packaged-up cocktail program that you can go ahead and you can launch with your staff. So there's a want and need for that, you know. Granted, we do have – I personally think that we have enough talent down here, and as we continue to evolve that talent, we'll see less and less of that consultancy because we can have people like that living in-house, and that's uh, my hope and want because I think that when you have them kind of staying there and really being passionate about it is really when you start seeing a lot of these cocktail menus and training programs shine. It's really tough for me to see someone jump in for six months and then kind of, you know, touch and go. I think you need a lot more kind of care and effort. And, you know, we'll see that in different places. But that was big for me where we're starting to see a big, big reliance on, you know, a bartender, a manager that's going to be able to carry this program through and through. And you're seeing it a lot. And it's really successful. You know, last month we saw the Spirited Awards put out their honorees. And, and for those that don't know what the Spirited Awards are, Tales of the Cocktail is a non-for-profit organization uh, based in New Orleans. And it was started in the early 2000s. And Tales of the Cocktail is basically the world's largest kind of spirits education festival. It's known all around the world. And they have a kind of an award called the Spirited Awards. It's kind of considered, you know, the James Beard or the Oscars of our industry. So now they created kind of a longer list that gets you know, kind of made smaller as a short list. And those people get put into a process of winning an award, whether it be, you know, best bar team, uh, best American bartender, best uh, American hotel bar, best American cocktail bar. And then you have a global one, right? They separate between the United States and global. But that being said, best American bar team, you see La Serenus in Four Seasons make the honorish list, which they might make the short list, which is a short list, I think, of four or five, uh, nominees, that's a big deal. Being nominated from all around the United States. Café La Trova, Julio Cabrera, famous, one of the, you know, if, if not the, the most famous Cuban bartender, Cantinero, based down here in Miami. They get nominated for Best American Bar Team. You know, American Restaurant, you see different bars there as well. Best Hotel, I think you see uh, Le Serenus was was uh, nominated as an honoree. And then, you know, Best American Cocktail Bar, Jaguar Sun, in downtown Miami, a lot of people kind of say to me, what's Jaguar Sun? What a weird and funky name. And it's actually based here in downtown Miami. And it's considered one of the best bars in the United States. If you make that on a list, you're automatically one of the best bars in the United States. So it's honestly such an honor and a pleasure to see some of these incredible bars on here, really putting their money where their mouth is, investing in creating a culture of bartenders and cantineros that really want to stay in one place and really want to grow something and really want to achieve greatness. And that's what we're starting to see down here in Miami. You know, Gabe, you brought up a perfect example and a great segue, may I ask. Gabriel has a fantastic book out available on Amazon with over five-star reviews on Miami cocktails and over 100 different recipes. You know, we think we just got a little bit of the genesis of where that the idea of that book came from. But you can talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, where that book and kind of how'd you do the research and all that kind of fun stuff. And how's it selling? Is it selling? 
Yeah, so the book is actually one of the best sellers from that specific series. So Simon & Schuster, which is the largest publisher, has a vision called Cider Mill Press, where they focus on city-specific uh, cocktail books. I got to be honest with you, much like my industry or my career was built, was on kind of asking and putting my money where my mouth is. So I was writing for Edible South Florida. I also had a blog that I was writing on, which was Spirited Miami, which we're migrating everything over to a new blog because I wanted to kind of focus on the beverage industry as a whole. I think coffee is just as important as a spirit, as a beer, uh, as just a soft drink. So I wanted to kind of focus on more on the macro perspective on, on beverage. But one big thing for me was I saw these books go out and I said, wow, you know, no one's ever written a book on Miami cocktails in the history of Miami. And I'm like, there's never going to be a perfect time. And I personally think that I would be the perfect person to add so much value to this, considering that I've seen the evolution of where we were before kind of craft cocktails and where we are now. So I was able to kind of piece that together with, man, a lot of the history that I actually went through myself. So I was really excited to kind of dig into a lot of these incredible bartenders, some who aren't with us today anymore, but, you know, they've built legacies down here in South Florida that are still talked about all over the world. One of those is John LaMare, who actually run the Florida Room, which was actually back in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, was actually the first bar in Miami nominated at, as world's best bar. John LaMare and Josh Wagner at the helm, jo uh, Josh Wagner being a manager, which I would love to, to um, have him on. He was a general manager there and he just moved back from Japan. So he's always kind of doing some incredible things. And John LaMare, who, who ran the bar program and created what is considered one of the best bar teams I would say in history. And I say that because now you start seeing, you know, we're a little older. That was, you know, a couple of years back. But now we see some of these people owning bars, some of them owning brands. Some of them uh, are actually starting wine bars. So the just the way that they've kind of grown has been incredible. But what I wanted to do is really capture not so much about cocktails, but kind of, you know, the book is kind of small. So I kind of wanted to make it a guidebook. I wanted people to kind of you know, if you're traveling to Miami, pick up this book. It's like 12, 14 bucks and just jump in here and you're able to open it. And maybe you're not able to create that cocktail because they're a little complex, but you're able to kind of see the amount of effort and creativity that some of these bars have. And you're able to go and sit at the bar and say like, I get it. Like I wanted to be here because I saw this in this book. And that's kind of the cool part about the book. It was really capturing a moment in time and really honoring, you know, what we're doing as a whole from a creative standpoint. And it just really kind of flexes our muscle as a city because I think you can put us up there against any other city and we're, we're doing some incredible things. That's great. I think we have some required reading there for our courses coming up there, gentlemen. Actually, um, it, I just looked on Amazon. It's $13 even. And, and with Prime, it will be delivered to my house May 6th because while Gabe was talking, I went and ordered that book. Oh, so. thank you, man. See that? There you go. We've got to put his kids through college. You know? <laughs> hey, hey, gang, let me uh, switch gears here and uh, really kind of just talk about uh, an important topic, which is the state of our industry. You know, last week uh, we talked about how we are gearing up to uh, reopen. And now we're kind of seeing it taking place. Now, how this will affect particularly the hospitality segment is interesting. To bring it back to our, our guest today with Gabriel here, you know, we saw for the first time massive furloughs in some major distributing houses. We have a record amount of unfortunate unpaid invoices. And for those of you listening on the FIU side, this is the business side uh, that we're going to be talking about in 
a lot of the programs coming up where we have to understand that there's this trickle-down effect that can kind of then uh, affect these other segments of the industry. But, you know, Gabe, what, what are you seeing and what is your kind of crystal ball going to be uh, looking at in the next few weeks? Yeah, you, you know, just to touch on your point, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, including in the industry, they, they see the distributor as kind of like, here we are, this is our three-tier distribution system. They are a necessary evil, so they're here. But realistically, they're, they're necessary because they, they have an important function. And it's not so much a legality function as it is a logistics function. And it's to really kind of getting, you know, a lot of these spirits, brands, beers, waters, everything that they have to places that otherwise they wouldn't get to. So from a logistics standpoint, they invest a lot of money to be able to get to that small little tip in Florida to be able to get that bottle of, you know, Aberfeldy whiskey or Bacardi Superior. So it's one of those things where I always tip my hat off to these sales reps who kind of have to balance a big portfolio on one side because they're not only dealing with Bacardi itself, they're dealing with hundreds of uh, brands. And then on the other side, they have to go to a retailer and kind of explain what's a good fit for them. So they're not so much kind of just trying to stuff everything through there. They're actually consultants. And, you know, one big thing for us, to your point, was, you know, when you open up that accounts receivable and you see that there's a lot of people that aren't able to pay the bill, that in turn kind of trickles down to a lot of the sales reps. And one of the big things is a lot of people don't know this, but when you actually, the process of a supplier... So a supplier would be, for example, Bacardi, and the distributor would be Southern, and a retailer would be Bar X, right? You know, one big thing is, is that when Bacardi gets that inventory to the distributor, the distributor buys that inventory. So it's not like we let them borrow it or it's on consignment. They buy that inventory. That inventory then, they own that inventory. So if they go ahead and they give it out on credit, and for one month, they give it out and the majority of those bills aren't paid, then they just lost all that property. And some of these places might not open up again. So, you know, they got put in a precarious situation of seeing how they can balance and really keep a lot of these you know, sales reps on. Um, we're still seeing a lot of the off-premise sales reps have been retained because we're seeing a little bit of a bump on off-premise sales. Obviously, as people stay home, they're going to continue to kind of pick up a lot of their liquid their spirits from the liquor stores, but on-premise restaurants, bars, there, that's gone a little bit slower. We're not seeing our return on investment when it comes to just to-go cocktails. You know, that's kind of smaller. And a lot of uh, these bars and restaurants are cycling through their existing inventory. They're not going to go out and buy, you know, brand new cases of things. They're going to kind of go through what they have. So we're kind of going through that motion right now. Right now, what I have noticed is that we are seeing places that weren't open before now starting to really organize themselves and open from a takeout and delivery standpoint. And there you're starting to see places like, you know, Pizza Tropicana, Gramps, and, you know, Jaguar Sun, where you're starting to see two-go cocktails. You're starting to see them kind of just really understand the new reality and kind of stick to what they're doing. So that's where we're at right now. Gabe, um, one of the things I was sharing with the fellas when we last spoke was the, and you touched on it yourself, is the huge increase that people are consuming alcohol at home now. And the number that was tossed out on a national basis for like the third week in March was a 55% increase in the amount of alcoholic 
beverages that are being purchased uh, for consumption in the home. And so my question to you is, where are you seeing the growth or the biggest growth spurts within the Bacardi portfolio? And then what kind of what new product is coming down the pike that, that you would be excited about? We're starting to see specifically a Bacardi portfolio we just launched, so we won't be able to pull those numbers as of now. But you are seeing kind of RTDs come through. So you have these RTDs are ready to drink. So these ready to drinks are actually, there's a rum punch and a couple other Bacardi rum focused ones. And the cool thing about that is, is the can is gorgeous. It looks premium. It's very tropical. But one big thing about that is, is you're starting to see a lot of people kind of gravitate towards RTDs. You know, one being some of these seltzer brands bringing something that actually doesn't have a spirit in it. It's actually just uh, gone through a fermentation process but it hasn't gone through, you know, the distillation process. Specifically for what Bacardi is doing, they're actually putting rum inside the can and they're going to be selling that, you know, kind of rum punch or that sort of cocktail to the masses. And I really love how that's kind of living. I'm also seeing a very strong kind of drive towards lower ABV kind of items, which in turn make it lower calorie. So you're starting to see kind of Bacardi getting into that realm as well. Well, a little bit of kind of essences where it's kind of like these spa flavors, maybe like cucumber and mint. And, you know, you add a little bit of soda to that. So people are kind of, they are at home. You know, I always like to say, first and foremost, you know, if you are at home kind of having cocktails, always drink responsibly, even if you're not driving. I think that that's such an important aspect because, you know, you can get home and you can make a cocktail. And sometimes if you're not measuring it perfect, you know, you can you know, maybe make a drink that's a little bit too strong. So one big thing is always drink responsibly. But what I have noticed is that a lot of people are looking for that, you know, lower calorie solution. One is kind of these seltzers, but also kind of getting a lower ABV type of vodka can also help. Uh, Bacardi has one that that, that they're releasing now called Plume and Petal. And as we see that, that's going to be, it's going to be a gorgeous kind of bottle, very simple essences added to the actual distillate. And something that you can mix with soda or a very light juice and it'll keep uh, the calories down. But, you know, one big thing that I have noticed is that you would think that people would be kind of a little bit more driven to the value brands. But I'm noticing that people are actually sticking to their guns and sticking to what they usually drink. They're not trading up to a brand that they otherwise wouldn't drink. They're sticking to what they're familiar with. But you're seeing people are still buying Grey Goose. People are still buying, you know, the Bacardi 8s of the world. People are buying Aberfeldy. So people still are looking for that type of quality to have at their house. They're not just looking for that at a bar. So I think it's going to be interesting the way we see that live, right? Where people are going to be looking to bring in a, you know, maybe a bigger, larger format, more inexpensive bottle, but it's not the case. People still want to drink something nice. And I think, you know, that has to go, you know, that is, I would say, because of, the education, the transparency that we have out there, they're able to understand these brands better and kind of take them home and and do some interesting stuff with them. I wanted to mention one thing. There is a task force that is created down here. The task force, you know, with the city of Miami. I don't know if you want me to kind of touch up on kind of the general guidelines and the dates that they're looking at. I just got this sent to me. So this could be something cool to kind of just talk about. Yeah, go for it. Yes, so the task force has been created and, it's, and, you know, one with Miami-Dade, one with the city of Miami. But, of course, the task force is, cre- is basically a group of uh, restaurant group members that are just kind of in it together and looking for kind of ways to make sure that dining is going 
to be safe as we kind of go through this kind of landing on a good date and what the general guidelines would be. So I kind of pulled a little bit of this because I wanted to mention it to everyone here because I think it's important to see exactly how we're, we're starting. And I'm going to use the word of the decade right now, how we're starting to pivot, which everyone uses this word, right? But, you know, one big thing is we're looking at a to stand operationally ready to open in conformance with the guidelines that I'm going to tell you by May 6th. So we're looking at a May 6th opening. And I don't know if everyone knew that, but, but, but we're, we're, we're getting really close to that. You know, one big thing is that they're looking for restaurants to operate at no more than 50% capacity. And within the 50% capacity, they're looking at social distancing of six feet between parties and uh, per table. The maximum amount per table would be around, not around, the limit of six people. And then, of course, within that social distancing protocols will be observed by patrons and also staff. And that's going to be recommended by the CDC. And, of course, this outline that we're mentioning. Of course, employees are always going to be wearing masks during this time, including hosts, managers, servers, bussers, food runners, bartenders. They're all going to be wearing masks and gloves as well. So it's going to be kind of like this, um, kind of like a freaky kind of first start to it, right? Like, I think it's going to feel very clinical. But I think, you know, the importance of us to get out there, support our local restaurants, support our local bars. But most importantly, I think we understand this new normal that we're kind of going through in the meantime. I think there's a want and need, even from an innate standpoint, to really enjoy other people's company. And then again, just being out there and enjoying the hospitality of these incredible restaurants. Patrons must wear masks at all times unless they're seated at a table. So if you're going to be going in and you're standing at a bar and you're hanging out within the six feet, you know, within groups, you have to be in your own group. You have to be wearing a mask. Got to figure out how you're going to sip your cocktail in between that. Of course, the hygiene, disinfection and hand washing protocols will be, will be observed by patrons and staff. And that recommendation is going to come through the CDC. Um, and of course, all restaurants will be equipped with hand sanitizer for every single guest. So it doesn't mean that there has to be an actual hand sanitizer machine on every table, but there has to be hand sanitizer available to every guest. For, from a training standpoint, they have to retrain all their staff to have a clear understanding of the new protocols that will be in place. There's going to be a cleaning task checklist. So within the rules of the CDC, the cleaning and sanitizing uh, procedures uh, will be changed and they have to be followed and adhered to a very strict guideline. The cool thing about that is um, we're seeing a lot of the local kind of enforcement agencies have already started to come through. And this is kind of what I've been hearing and looking to make sure that everyone's wearing their masks, everyone's wearing their gloves. Yes. Do we like to be visited that much? Probably not. But the good thing is, is that this is a want and a need and something that's very important. So we are all for it. And, and, and for the most part, uh, we noticed that every single restaurant and bar is kind of sticking to these rules. There's also going to be a change in signage. So you're going to be seeing more kind of health and safety signage with visual aids that have kind of messaging very similar to kind of what I'm talking about that kind of has, you know, easy visibility of where to sit down, where to social distance. All that is going to be added in there as, as well. If, you know, any restaurant, much like, for example, Glass and Vine and Coconut Grove had a playground, that playground has to be remain closed. So there's not going to be a kind of area where your children can play. So that's not going to be allowed. I think those are kind of the big ones to kind of follow. And there is going to be also guidelines that go behind facility preparation 
So, you know, before reopening, there's going to be a plan in place to make sure that everything's ready to rock. There's also going to be, you know, no valet parking, things like that. So there's going to be very little important things that, that they need to kind of add little by little that's going to affect the customer experience. But of course, the inside and the meat and potatoes of what we're used to seeing is going to stay exactly the same. So they'll eventually add valet parking. You know, the front door, every front door will have a person to open and, and, and close the door for customers. And of course, that door must be disinfected and wiped. But that door must be disinfected and wiped every 30 minutes according to these new guidelines that are in place. And, you know, everything else that goes with that, you know, the, the trash and everything else, they're actually putting a lot more just stricter guidelines. I mean, I think everyone or these ones that we trust usually dispose of their garbage regularly anyway. But you're going to be seeing more markings on the floor. You're going to be seeing distinct areas where customers can wait or if they have order and pick up and take out. Of course, right at the whole stand, you're going to see the hand sanitizer. A lot more social distancing is going to be kind of here. Specifically for the bar area, the bar is going to be basically treated like in-house dining. So the same rules that we saw for, you know, six feet in between parties, this is where we're going to see a very big effect, right? I think, you know, when it comes to restaurants, smaller restaurants will be affected table-wise where you put six feet. Six feet is a lot, but it's not that much. But in a bar, six feet is a lot. So you're going to have to kind of see that type of bars are going to be treated as in-house dining. So you are going to see socially distanced six feet between every single party at a bar, which would make a bar that usually fits, let's say, 25 people. They're going to fit a lot less. So that's going to be an interesting area. The waiting area of bars will not be used either. So there won't be this kind of congregation kind of thing that usually happens when you get to a bar and you know, what we say famously, we're three people deep or four people deep. We can't have that right now at this moment. So if you're not sitting at the bar, you're either sitting at the table or you're going to have to go and to the waiting area and just kind of hang out and wait till everything opens up. But we're looking at a May 6 opening. So we're getting close. That's great. One of the other things that we're going to see with that is the fact that a lot of foodborne illness, I think, will be going down as well because the um, employees will be washing their hands a lot more. Everyone's going to be doing their part in order to to do the right thing. So this is awesome. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to a May 6th. My anniversary is in two days, so I can postpone it for another week and we can go <laughs> out and do something. Well, Dodge, it's going to be more like a cruise ship for you with washi-washi, you know, and everything else. So it's going to be perfect for you, you know? I'm, you I'm used to it already, yeah. You can still celebrate Cinco de Mayo. I know, I know it's, 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 it's May 6th, <laughs> yeah. but we're there, man. We're there. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Gabriel, thank you, brother. And thank you for your insights, yeah. uh, particularly on what's going on in industry, because it's uh, definitely an interesting time for us all. But another great cliche, we'll get through this, you know, and we will. Uh, we will get through this. I didn't use the new normal, so it's all right, but we'll get through this. All right. So any closing comments there, gentlemen? I know we got to wrap up. Uh, Chef Massey has a little Q&A going on for you, sir. Any questions and answers? No, no. The, the only thing that I was going to ask, Gabe, I, I want to make sure I, I touched on, w- number one, we appreciate the partnership with the school. Thank you and Bacardi for that. I was just curious if, from the food perspective, have you thought of or has Bacardi thought of or initiated any co-branding partnerships with foods or other uh, manufactured foods, restaurants, any partnerships other than ours that are in the works? Yes. So we're seeing at a very, very local grassroots level, we're seeing just some very small partnerships. Um, I've seen kind of 
just partnerships with restaurants and kind of takeout right now at the moment. So this is something that's happening at a grassroots level. A lot of ambassadors getting involved where they can still kind of support their bars. Um, I know Havana Club, for example, a good friend of mine, Gio, uh, he's doing daiquiri drops, for example. Um, I know uh, Abi and Ramza, the ice cream company, they're kind of boozy ice cream where they're looking to kind of give back some money to the industry. We actually, early on, we, we created kind of like the grocery packs to give to bartenders and those in need. We know how important it is to the industry right now that we're not getting these paychecks coming through. So we want to make sure people just, you know, if there's anything that's more important, is just making sure you have a meal, you know, to enjoy for their family. So that's one thing that we did. So we partnered up with, with a local bar where we're able to kind of work with a local purveyor and kind of pool groceries. And we created kind of grocery kits and things like that. Nothing that I've seen on a bigger level, but we are kind of doing that. And we're just thinking of creative ways of how we're going to get back there. So I have a call today and, you know, whether it is just kind of jumping around and, and, and doing a bar crawl or, or, or is it just kind of amplifying something on social media? We're trying to figure out just ways that we can support what we're all trying to do here because once we start slow, slowly get up and running, which I think it is going to be a slow process, I think we just need to be there to support everyone, uh, make sure our distributor partners, uh, we're helping them out in any way we can. So just little things like that that I think definitely help out and, and improve the situation. Hey, Gabriel, quick for social media. How do we follow you? How do we find you? How do we do all that stuff? So I have a, my own social media look small taste where I'm kind of just highlighting a lot of delivery and takeout and really cool purveyors locally that are still kind of putting things out there, which I'm really proud of. I think, you know, our industry has come together in such a creative way. So my, my, my uh, Instagram is look, smell, taste. And um, I have another specifically beverage focused one, which is uh, drinkable Miami and drinkable Miami, just kind of events, tastings, but you can really see what bartenders are doing. I'm close to a lot of them. So we're able to kind of dig to a lot of the things we're doing. So you can check out both of those. And uh, we're doing some incredible things, man. So we, we will get through this and we will be better for it. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And of course, you know, keep an eye out. and We'll keep you all posted uh, when Gabriel will be running his uh, program on demand, his pod for the fall when we have that approved and ready to rock and roll. Gentlemen, any closing comments? I got nothing. Everyone nope. stay nope. safe. Hopefully we'll be able to get through this and get back into uh, a bar hopefully soon. Yeah, that's great information. Thank you so much, Gabe. Excellent. And on my end, of course, if you need to reach out to us at any time, feel free to email me at bconnors at fiu.edu. If you have any questions regarding the Bacardi Center of Excellence, any of our new courses and soon-to-be pods and Bacardi Teach and all the good stuff we have going on, we look forward to hearing from you as well. Well, gentlemen, uh, once again, what a great conversation. Uh, And I look forward to seeing you all actually face-to-face sometime soon and of course with a cocktail or two yeah i think if the bars are opening up maybe we should do our next uh podcast in a bar i think that would make life a lot easier and make i'll book it i got it i uh, have the idea all right i'll bring the straws so that way we can wear our masks <laughs> <laughs> all right guys appreciate it all thank you for the time gabriel cheers guys